friends. Back in December, we were so fortunate to sit down with the fantastic Rohan Jolie. Rohan is a dancer, writer, organizer, and the founder of the Blasian March, a Black, Asian, Blasian grassroots solidarity organization that has within three years established chapters all over the country. Rohan has a degree in ethnomusicology from Northwestern and honestly is just a total joy to share space with. We talk about art as a moral compass, how prison abolition relates to Asian liberation, and even touch on our erotic power. Thank you, Audre Lorde. <laughs> but you'll have to tune into part two for that full conversation. Please remember to click that listener supporter link in the show notes after you listen. We only exist because of your support. So thank you. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone. I'm Carolyn Sudeco. And I'm Shanta Lecker. And this is Human Regards. I'm sensing an air earth balance in, in this duo. Like, Shanta's the earth sign. Caroline's like the air sign. Like, I, <laughs> I sensed air. I was like, oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Close, but I'm actually Sagittarius. So, <laughs> and what and what's that, Shanta? Fire, 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 fire sign. Yeah, <laughs> it's you know. You're, you just passed, or you're coming up? Uh, I just had my birthday. Yeah, I'm. Oh, I'm so like, you were close. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I was close. Ah, okay. you were close. That's I why I said it. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, what are you drinking? Are you drinking anything right now? What do you I, got? am drinking uh jasmine tea oh right all right yeah. nothing Shanta, fancy nothing fancy i think it's fancy classic ginger, ginger tea <laughs> yeah ginger tea ginger tea mm -hmm. what about you Shanta, you usually have the the you usually have a very complex tea thing going on i know so. today i just used it like a pre-made tea bag so shameful <laughs> Just ginger. That's it. I don't know. Okay. What about you? All right. I'm coming. I'm coming through with the the coffee, the three in one coffee. <laughs> I I actually don't know what's in it because I'm I can't screaming. read the label. I'm screaming. But it's three in one instant instant coffee in it. Nice. Um, ah, Rohan. Yes. Can you can you please can you please say your names? Yeah. For us. Um, my name is Rohan Jolie. Um, I'm still trying to figure out middle names, but yeah, I, I think right now my middle names are somewhere between Tristan, Mayari, and Malakas. Ooh. Might be all three, because, you know, being Caribbean and Filipino, like <laughs> I should have all three, but I'm, I'm somewhere in that realm of naming my renaming myself so oh. that's that's a something in that realm or it would be the middle names yeah yeah tell us how you like to reinvent your spaces the spaces where you are that you find yourself in like even if it is i don't i don't want to be so presumptuous as like <laughs> reinventing space i think that just comes with 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 who you are but yeah tell tell us about how that feels for you yeah, well, I think I think first and foremost, it's when you enter the space, you have to recognize what narratives are being imposed on me, what narratives exist in this space that create harmony and or tension. What are, I guess, borrowing Toni Morrison's language, what is the master narrative and how does that control the space? And then... From there, it becomes a question of, okay, even it could be myself, it could be you, it could be somebody else in the world. Like, how do we then critique those narratives and challenge them for the better of our humanity? So like, yeah, I walk into a black space where there's typically such an invisibilization of just Asian experiences, Asian American history, to the point of which like, I have to come out as as Asian. <laughs> and that always opens up so many dialogues about what do you mean? Like, uh, I remember one time I told someone I was Asian 
and I, they wouldn't believe me and they said i needed therapy to like deal with my like self-hate <laughs> i was like uh, okay or if it's like walking into a predominantly asian space where anti-blackness is so profound to the point of which like darker skinned asian people who are darker than me aren't welcome or or whatever and of course myself saying i'm asian challenges the narrative of what asian america looks like right so like we, we even like talk as activists like you know black people we're not a monolith or asians we're not a monolith but the moment we say we are not that we are not a black asian that is imposition of monolith mm -hmm. that is the creation of monolith when we reinvent the space it's like how do we disrupt these narratives that then permit an infinite amount of space an infinite way infinite ways of telling narratives i've seen you talk about this concept of um being a race traitor oh yes i know when when a lot of mixed folks talk about their experience about having to choose one of mm -hmm. the or having to decide which one you lead with or yeah could you talk about like that concept of of race i mean that's so provocative uh be a race traitor yes i think that it goes hand in hand with the master narrative right it's like the moment you step outside the narrative the moment you disobey the narrative that's assigned to you there's almost like a betrayal of community because community unfortunately the way seek we see community i'm going to borrow a bit from edward said's orientalism but we build community based on self and other right we, we build community based on who are we based on who is not us who is not the we and that goes back to storytelling. So the moment anybody challenges that narrative or organizes a space that is against that narrative that the collective adheres to or that the collective conforms to uh, or is intellectually oppressed by, um, that becomes the race traitor space. Gosh, I remember one time there was... Uh, I think it was 2021. It was our one, it was the Blasian March's one year anniversary action. And it was the Black Asian Trans Power Rally. And a Black organizer had a huge issue with us saying Asian power. Um, they had accused me essentially of appropriating Black culture. And I was like, but I'm Black. <laughs> Question. Um, <laughs> In that moment, I had become the race traitor because like what I was saying and doing was antithetical to the white miseducation of blackness and black power, because that does not it did not include the idea that black Asians exist. Right. Um, mm. It did not include the idea that black Asians matter. Therefore, black Asians have full access to black power. And as a Black Asian, I should be able to share that. Also, Asian America has its own Asian power. So, like, what is the problem? Like <laughs> <laughs> right. But the way that we've been socialized here yes. is is in this white black binary in right. a lot of our educational systems and even in these anti-oppression spaces, even in queer right. spaces, I feel like I encounter. Especially that. in queer right? black spaces. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So so yeah. So I mean it it's like, yeah, people are people tend to forget as well that those like giant social messages that we've all gotten, whether that's the model minority myth or like these mm -hmm. things have been fed to everyone. Like we're all digesting that, exactly. um, which, you know, results in internalized stuff, but also um, that is, you know, like in, so in a lot of ways, the mission of white supremacy is to create those silos and isolate us from each other and, mm. and prevent that solidarity. And so, yeah, so like I wouldn't hold an individual like to some kind of fault for being offended by the phrase Asian power. I would say like, yeah, and maybe mm -hmm. we all have some learning to do in this context and understanding Absolutely. that like no one is really standing in their power if they're erasing someone else. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's Absolutely. something that that mm -hmm. is, is that that's like across so many identities that we see that in right. invisibilization happened. So anyway, just to kind of like, yeah, kind of just say like, it really resonates, you know, what you're saying really resonates. What was it maybe if you could bring us back to, to your formative times, your early years, your childhood or something, something <laughs> there, right? Like 
in order to reinvent space, like there has to be some sort of awareness of that space to begin with and, and the construct that you find yourself in in order to reinvent it. So take us there if you if you could in any way you want. Yeah, I think it was relatively easy for me um, <clears throat> because both my parents are mixed Black and Asian. Um, and I think also... My family has Caribbean roots. My father's from Jamaica. My mother uh, has Trinidadian and Barbadian roots. So there is such a history of the um, human trafficking of African people to the Caribbean, um, which is widely disseminated across like the U.S. like education spectrum. What people don't remember or don't know or don't learn, and that goes back to master narrative, construction model minority, is that Asian folks were also trafficked to the Caribbean. Um, the Chinese, the Filipinos, the South Asians. Um, and so because of that, there's a huge mix of people. There's a lot of mixed race people. It is basically normalized. Um, I know in Jamaica, like uh, when my grandmother was still there, um, having what they call Chinese eyes, which <laughs> A questionable, it, it is a term, it is what it is, mm -hmm. but um, it, to, to be a Black person, Black presenting person with like Asiatic facial features was considered very beautiful uh, at the time that she was living in, in, in Jamaica. Um, so I grew up with like that normalization, like it's normal to be Black and Asian. Um, so like my parents, we, we went, we were very involved like, with the Chinese American community, but like there were definitely moments where like my parents were like, just don't forget that you are black because we live in the United States of America where, you know, back then I identify as a black boy. So of course that was like, you are a black boy in this country. So um, please be aware. But I think like those kind of seeds where it's like, it was naturally taught to me. It was inherently taught to me like this is your heritage. And then having to then have that clash particularly with other Black Americans. Like when I became more, um, I guess, introduced to Black American culture, U.S. Black culture, because I did not grow up with soul music. I grew up with funk music in the house. I grew up on reggae and classical music. So <laughs> then when I began to become more involved or interact with more U.S. Black people, uh, I think that's where a lot of the, like, clashes in my psyche kind of came because it was like well i'm black but i'm not welcome because of my my asianness my asian side and that is a problem you also talk about abol abolition mm -hmm. right abolition or asian liberation through abolition right and those those two concepts in 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 our kind of understanding again of of this American, the 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 white mythology as you call it, right? Abolition and liberation um, is is still uh, what's the word you use, Shanta? Like conflated, right? In these weird ways mm -hmm. that I that I I for me I can't make one way or the other of things. It's not clear for me, and I think that's intentional in our. In, in in the way our in the way that's uh transmitted to me. Again, I like to say like which which way are we facing? I I also am a member of of uh black family. I have black sons. I've I've got uh two of my husbands identify as black. Oh come on two <laughs> husbands, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know and 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 you know what, Rohan, like with that, like this assumption, right? Because both of my husbands, one one of whom is now in an, in an, in in another realm, um, and who who lovingly haunts me every day. I like to say, but even with that, like the the way our society has dealt with me in that, is by saying stuff like, "Oh, she only likes black guys," or you know, like that. These are straighter, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or like when I was a teacher. When I was a, a high school teacher, and most of our most of our students identified as as uh, girls of color, and 
actually that was the, the fact that I had a black husband and black sons was actually held in high social regard in their circles, right? Like, oh, Coach Sudeco's down, you know? Oh, like, you know, she gets it, right? Like, I'm somehow cool because like, I was, I, you know, I got someone to marry me or whatever, you know? I'm like, okay, like that wasn't, oh, I just kind of jumped into that. But I wanted, yeah, I wanted to ask you about about specifically the, the the liberation of Asian, of this this concept of Asian liberation, right? Through through abolition, that is that is gifted to us. I think by ways that we we allow ourselves to be led by, yeah, by the most marginalized folks and the most right. oppressed folks, and some of which are are also Asian, right? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. could you talk about that? I think what the what what you said is really beautiful because it's also like we we as Asian America have to always remember that our struggle is linked to Black liberation. It is linked to Indigenous sovereignty. It is linked to wherever there is oppression. <clears throat> because one, like your children, um, we as Asian Americans we intersect every other community. Um, so. By just pure science, our humanity is their humanity. Our struggle is their struggle. Um, I do think when it comes down particularly to what does abolition mean for Asian America, um, I think it becomes a question of what, how do we define abolition in the first place? And I haven't read the book in full yet, but I think a lot about like Kathy Park Hong's um, minor feelings mm-hmm. and, and the concepts that come up about, you know, conformity, white adjacency. What is our current struggle as Asian America? And I think for a lot of Asian America, our, our greatest struggle is we don't know who we are on this stolen land. You know, so much of our history has been so intentionally erased and we are still fighting to even have Asian American history in our public education because we don't know our stories we don't know our struggles we don't know our struggles we don't know our trauma and you have to name it to change it and if we cannot name the trauma to change what's what's happening to Asian America it's that much easier for us to be manipulated for Asian America to be manipulated into this Modern minority, this white adjacency, these white mythologies that are so specifically constructed around Asian America. So I'm thinking about, I can't remember how many protests I went to in early like 2020, 2021. And there'd be a lot of like Chinese Americans, like, we built the railroads. And I was like, yeah. And I'm sitting here like, but how many of us were massacred? by white people on those railroads like and how many of us were given credit for those railroads how many of us Mm -hmm. were cheated out of money for those railroads how many of us were deported back to china for those railroads um (laughs) the exploitation is is so ingrained and that communal forgetting that that cultural not knowing then creates or adheres to and bolsters model minority, it bolsters white adjacency. Mm-hmm. So I think for Asian America, and of course I'm always speaking to my experience being of Chinese descent. I mean, I'm sure that applies to so many other diasporas uh, here in the States, but I think for us, it's really important to think about, I think for Asian America, abolition means abolishing the mythologies around our history. And then from there, taking the next step and say, okay, what needs to be abolished next? Or how does the abolition of these mythologies about our history contribute to what abolition means to the Black community, which for many people is the abolition of prisons, you know? Mm-hmm. Especially since a lot mm-hmm. of Asian Americans are, are a part of the prison system and how policing also is very violent towards Asian Americans, particularly Asian femmes, um, things like that. Right. One of my questions again for you, as 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 someone who's been all around the world, um, talking talking about this, presenting this, like being who you are, all around the world. Can we zoom out a little bit? Yeah. And can you talk about your experience as you travel to other parts 
of the world that are not the United States of America <laughs> and, and how that, yeah. And how you reinvent space and uh, how that feels for you specifically, I think, and how you maneuver in the world. Enter the space, analyze what's going on. Cause I can't, I can't just like, I'm an American. Like, like that's, which is so American. I'm sorry. I know. That's so gross. That's so gross. <laughs> like, oh my God. But it definitely is. Yeah. Okay, walk into the space, um, critique, analyze, see what is the political structures here. And then what have I done? How does that contribute? So like, let's see, this summer I was speaking at the University of Tokyo, which was an amazing, incredible experience. Everyone there was so wonderful. Also, it was not lost on me that I presented on 4th of July. I was like, you know what? I'm here for this. <laughs> I'm here for this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. But like, as you're saying, like, of course, I'm entering a space where the culture of Asian America does not apply. Um, the identity of Asian America does not apply. Like, it's very much Japan, Chinese, Taiwanese, like, it's a very specific new structure. It's a very specific new way of understanding struggle. Or, um, and so from there I was like, okay, like let's make this presentation as Japanese specific as possible. Um, let's uplift all of our Japanese mixed race collaborating organizers for the event. Cause I'm also here to help folks understand that the Japanese identity is also expansive and infinite and creates infinite combinations because we are that's just us as humanity. I also like definitely presented on like LGBT rights and um, gave ideas about how to build solidarity. And, you know, yeah, the Black Asian struggle does not, or the Black Asian relations doesn't fully apply in a monoracial society or a society where mm -hmm. it's like, you might see one or two Black people, which is a struggle. And of course, they have their own struggles in that society. But for people who are in the space, the struggles were more or less, oh, we are still trying to fight for marriage equality. There's still no marriage equality in Japan. Uh, when I was in Switzerland, the same ideas I share in Japan, um, when I spoke in Zurich, I gave the same ideas about how to build solidarity. I think for them, it was just like, they're just so few people of color that we have to create some sort of like cross-racial collective. Like there is no other option. Um, otherwise we will, we're not gonna get anything done in <laughs> here. So it's it's always like, okay, what is the terrain? What is, what is the climate? What is the political climate? What is the struggle here? And how does my struggle relate to this struggle? How does my story tie to this story? You know, where can we be open-minded and see the connections between all of our struggles with very explicit, concrete examples. Something that you said earlier, Carolyn, and it's tied to this, really struck a chord with me about the sort of understanding of liberation and abolition as these big concepts. And it's almost like as soon as those things become tangible here in the U.S., they become a problem. Everyone's like, nope, <laughs> cancel delete fire this you know like get up it's like we can intellectualize those things as much as we want as long as they stay sort of ambiguous as long as they stay in the past then right. this like dominant culture like the ac academic world is kind of fine with it and then the second that it becomes tangible or current like like or, defund the police exactly or, yeah or <laughs> defund the police free palestine these phrases suddenly we're yeah. making things tangible and and dominant culture freaks out. So it so I'm I'm relating this to what you're saying about how when you zoom out and you're in different, completely different places geographically, and we think about things globally. You know, in the US, you have to explain to people that Asia is dozens of countries with billions of people. <laughs> I'm American. You know I mean? Woo! <laughs> like if I'm in if I'm in like Indiana, I'm not gonna say I'm Bengali because they're gonna be like fuck is that like they're they're gonna be like that could be in a whole nother continent like they're not gonna understand that could be the, that could be the next <laughs> county over right? right but if i went to <laughs> let's say if i'm in india and i said i'm south asian they'd be like what right. Right. <laughs> you know what i mean and so it's so interesting hearing about those different experiences and how skilled you are in navigating that because i think that is a skill it's something you have to practice Ooh. and learn and i would think you know like having 
these identity boxes that are kind of placed on us in the U.S. that intersect sort of it, it kind of like forces this empathy on you, you know, like you have the ability then, like you said, to relate mm-hmm. to these different struggles and, and you can apply your experience to say the fight for marriage equality in Japan, which is so cool that, you know, that, that you're willing and able to do that. And I just wanted to ask, like connected to that, do you, and it's not to turn this into like a, a good, bad binary, but I'm just thinking about, you know, like your experiences working globally or in different places or outside the U.S., or even outside of like really culturally dense places in the U.S. Because yeah. I, I use the Indiana example on purpose because I grew up in the Midwest. <laughs> um, but like oh. what, you know what I mean? Like what has yeah. your experience been in terms of how you're nourished by your work? Like mm. do you feel do you feel that nourishment? Do you feel um, more connected to people in certain places? Or, you know, like how has that experience been since you have worked a lot of different spots? I love this question because it's so hard to answer. Um, <laughs> no. we, we bring that. We, we bring that complexity, Rohan. So we know you can handle it. We know you I'm can, here for the complexity. So. <laughs> Let's go. Maybe it's me being an empath, maybe being like a giver, but it's it's there's something when I give unto others, it's also how I give unto myself. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's also like having I think it's similar to what you're saying about having like the, the the boxes lined out for you. But especially when we're like in a mixed race space, it's such that the boxes cannot apply. So now what? Like, what do we do in this space where we have like, by its mere mission statement, just suspended um, all the binaries, all the boundaries? It becomes nourishing because then it's such an opportunity for people in the space to just explore. You know, to explore a space that has given them permission to say there are no boxes here. I mean, obviously we are trying to build Black, Asian, Blasian solidarity, but through the intersecting like identities, the, um, the intersecting marginalizations, it's almost kind of like there are no boxes here. Like you are a complete human being. What do you want to do here? <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and, I love using like more concrete tools like books, like being like, oh yeah, you're in this space. We encourage you to take up a book that you do not identify with or is not from a community boundary that's been assigned to you. Um, or even like using music um, in our spaces. Like a lot of our protest chants are rooted in music. Like we literally sing down the street. It's like, mm-hmm. and and I think for me, it's like we're using these 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 creative tools to to um abolish the boundaries in our minds and and suspend these these ideas of of conformity if i could say you you are leading me right yeah i was gonna say yourself right to this to this brilliant segue (laughs) yeah to to our diffusing power space where i want to ask you to to really be expansive and talk about how arts and you and your identity as an artist, and and because that that is also not just work, but it's it's who you are. And so we're we are talking about these intersections of all these things you do and who you are. And yeah, could you le- lean into the the art and your musicianship, right? And your artistry, your dance. I, I'm specifically intrigued with how you describe it as a way that is kind of like an invitation to people. To I wrote it down. I wrote it down <laughs> to, liber- oh, to um, liberate people from their biases of the artist. Is that what we're thinking? Yes, about? yes, that's Ooh. the one. Yes, the the yes, yeah, art to liberate people from their biases of the artist themselves. Who said that? That's you. Me. You. <laughs> you <did. laughs> I did. So, okay. <laughs> okay. Right. So, so this is an example, Rohan. This is an example. Yeah. I think like why why I'm excited about about when Shanta and I do this podcast because what I'm sharing with you is how you have already impacted me. Right, and we're facing each other. Right, we're facing each other, and usually I just like oh like oh look at look at these things that I've read or these things that I've learned and and I can appreciate them, but I'm appreciating them in like like a two-dimensional thing, right? And I can share them with people. 
But now that I'm facing you, like we're facing each other, like I get to tell you and share with you that that's important to me, right? Because you've you've done that. So, so that's that's what you know. In what 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 I like to to say involves that that kapwa sort of uh, yeah. connectivity, right? Like that is that the 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 third way we are together. We are humans to one another is in that way. So. Yeah, you did say that. I'm gonna. <laughs> you did say that. Um, I did. <laughs> I yeah. did. I did. Oh, <laughs> and like how art? How art is that tool? You know, yeah. for you or that pathway for you? Like however way that you, in your own self actualization process and journey, that art is that expressiveness, right? That that not only you offer, but then that that you invite people to. Well, first off. Thank you. Um, that is that was so moving, and it always hits me when people are like, "Well, you did this, and you did." That. I was like, "People are paying attention to me. like what?" <laughs> okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> um. Okay. So I I think for me, a lot of my art goes. It speaks directly to my black ancestry. Um, so myself being a black classical musician, a black trumpeter, a black singer a black ballet dancer, um, which of course, many people would assume that by doing these things, I am a race traitor um, <laughs> in an attempt to to uh, achieve white adjacency or approximate to whiteness through mm -hmm. classical European classical art forms. Mm -hmm. But of course, people don't recognize that my grandmother was a black ballerina during Jim Crow. Um, you know, I come from a line of, of um, Black classical musicians. I actually descend from uh, H. Leonard Jeter, who was a Black cellist and was set to be the first Black cellist to perform in Carnegie Hall until his cello was stolen. So, like, for me, already, the art I have come to love, I grew up in, suspends, it already suspends you know, the biases around what is Black art or what constitutes Black art, what constitutes a Black artist. Um, and so I guess I've already, ha I always had that value set. And so like, randomly, I remember uh, back at my times in college, Northwestern University. Hey. Um, oh, never again. I uh, grew up in Evanston, weirdly, just to put that out there. Oh. <laughs> Trauma. <laughs> that's weird. But, you know, that's where I fell in love with ballet. And that's also where I had my first protest. We actually, mm -hmm. I was part of the Asian Northwestern University project where we kind of talked about um, Asian experiences. And like, you know, at first I was definitely like, oh, I, I'm, I'm Black, so I don't think I belong in this space. Like, I should be like a guest in this space. Eventually, I was like, nah, fuck that. You're an Asian American. Claim your space, girl. So I was <laughs> like, I'm an Asian American. And we actually had a protest on campus that was like celebrating like Asian pride and Asian power. Well, not, it, well, it was the Asian pride rally. Um, and I wound up dancing ballet at this protest. And so for me, it, it, it's it been snowballing from there as like art as a way of protest, recognizing that like myself as an artist of color, that's an act of revolution. That is an act of extreme protest because as we experience art, as we create art, art has always been the moral compass of our society. Art has always been the question mark, has always been the challenge and pushback to society. I mean, why else? across the world, world history, why else was it in the Pinochet dictatorship um, were they going after artists? Why is it uh, in the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, why were they going after artists? You know, artists, educators, journalists, the ones who can actually tell the stories. So <clears throat> I guess for Blasian March, I wanted to take it even further and allow for people or invite people who come into the space to actually see the experiences of somebody else through art. And, you know, in, in almost every art space, it's always this collective and individual experience. Mm -hmm. Like you go to a concert, 
with the collective, but you're still experiencing as an individual from like your perspective and your experiences, or if we've all read the same book, it's a collective and yet at the same time, a very individual experience. So I was kind of like, yeah, I, I, I want to use art in this space to further suspend and take that even further. Like, how can we now use art to really, really question the boundaries between us? Oh my goodness. Like sometimes at a protest chant, we'll, we'll be singing Free Palestine and then Free Haiti. And it's all in the exact same place. Um, it's all in the exact same experience. Um, and then because the experience is so individual, it is, in my opinion, very grounding. It can be great because it's now your story. This is now your mm -hmm. story. It's so grounded because now all of these white mythologies, all of these assumptions about Black people are dangerous or, or Asians are the good minority, that's now being suspended in your own story, in your own lifetime. And hopefully people who experience that art can now take that value and move it forward. Yes, the Alice. I will, I gotta <laughs> yes, say. Yes, 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 yes. Even, and, oh, Shanta. No, no I was just gonna say something about the, initially you're talking about this, uh, how people can perceive your pursuit of the arts, like specific ones, I guess, like you mentioned yeah. classically, um, being classically trained in, in certain things and in, in music and dance as sort of turning your back on your race or turning your back on your culture. Um, and I just, I mean, one, I really relate. I, every time someone finds out that I write songs, they will like make jokes. They'll be like, Oh, you're on your white girl shit. Or like, you know, like there's, there's these jokes that come from all directions. These are not just coming from white folks. Like, it, you know, these, these right. jokes and, um, and I laugh, but at the same time, you know, and I, I think that's my own whatever, but I, I, I relate a lot to what, what you're saying about that being interpreted in a way it's like through this lens of normalizing whiteness. And I'm like, what, what do you right, mean? Right. What do you, right. what do you mean? It doesn't make any sense, you know? And so I think like that, that's really relatable. And I, I also am curious, like when you think back to when you decided to pursue these things, I feel like there is that natural pushback, you know, like it's definitely not an easy thing to make this decision. I'm going to go to Northwestern, right. this predominantly white institution and pursue dance. I'm going to pursue performance and music and be in all these organizing spaces. And so if I can ask you to like backtrack and rewind to when, you know, you were younger and thinking about doing that, how did you center yourself in that? How did you find whether it was compulsive or whether there was some kind of confidence, you know, like, like what kind of centered you and, and got you to that place where you're like, I'm going to do this? Well, I mean, obviously for a lot of us who come from immigrant families, who come from families of inherited trauma rooted in oppression, it's so hard for us to let go and to say, I'm centering my joy. Mm -hmm. Like so much, like we are so conditioned as people of color in this country to not pursue our joys to not say my joy comes first, right? We are so well-trained to compete, to, to, to serve white supremacy. We are so trained in all these things that when I say, I'm gonna write that song because it gives me joy, mm -hmm. I feel like everyone else, once again, like it's, 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 the, it's the pushing back against the master narrative that people then say, oh, like you're on your white girl shit. That's, <laughs> you know, and now we're, we're entering the race trader like realm and it's like, but this is my joy. Also, like what I'm supposed to do in this very white society where I am spoon fed white art all the time. Mm -hmm. um, full story. Uh, I actually entered Northwestern trying to get into theater. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. So I, I went I got into the College of Arts and Sciences and I tried to transfer to the communication school to then switch to theater. Um, that became very, very difficult. Uh, so I switched to performance studies, sophomore year, switched to performance studies, realized it wasn't for me, uh, junior year, switched to a dance major, and that's when my mother was like, child, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. I was like, what's happening? Like, honey, like, I love you, but like, what? Okay. 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 Um, 
But the entire time I was taking musicology classes, um, I was just really loving them. I, I was like, what's going on? So by junior year, it was starting to kind of make sense where I was like, okay, I'm gonna be a dance major and then take musicology classes. So I minored in musicology. I was like, I'll take my, I'll take these classes to sort of like research dances of my heritage and research dances from like my background. So that became like a, we're gonna explore some Filipino dance and then incorporate that into my dance major. Um, but eventually I realized I did not like the dance program at Northwestern. Um, it was not for me. My ballet bun head was just so strong. And um, the dance program at Northwestern is very postmodern. And for postmodern dancers, it's great. Like, go have fun. But it just wasn't for me. Like, it was not a craft that spoke to me. And I was sitting there like, with my mother's head, my mother's voice back up, with my mother's voice back in my head, I'm sitting here like, okay, if you're not even happy in this program, what are you doing? <laughs> so I wound up switching to ethnomusicology because I had to graduate on time. Mm. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I would take another year and have no scholarship. And I was like, oh no, 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 no! Like, I love it. They were emailing me like, oh, like we see, like you switched from like your dance major to a minor, you switched from the musicology minor to a major. Um, and the dean there, she was great. She was just like, you're the only ethnomusicology person um, to graduate this year, like between the undergrad and the grad school. So like, we're gonna, we're gonna get you through. And I was like, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and then I get this email from, uh, I guess, the you know, graduation people. And they were kind of like, oh, we see that you have a dance minor. They haven't completed. Would you like to come back for like one more year to finish? And I was like, nope, drop it. No, 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 drop it. Uh, no, no, Northwestern, you took enough out of me. You took my money. You gave me student debt. <laughs> we are done here. <laughs> like, <laughs> we are done. We are so done. <laughs> now that I look back at it, I'm like, wow, maybe it really was the just the consistency of I don't belong here, I don't belong there. I mm. have, I literally had to choose my own adventure the entire mm. time in college. And what got on that paper was got on that paper because I need to graduate on time. <laughs> like, yeah, I oh. mean, but that it's inspiring to me yeah. because I'm thinking about relating to that feeling of like, I do not belong here, ending up in a situation where. I mean, art in a lot of ways is kind of oppressed when you think about like how you have to be an artist in higher ed. Right. It's like, what do you mean? Right. I, don't, right. I definitely am not an art history major. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you have to sort of compartmentalize performance art. There is so much of it that especially, you know, it's like as a young adult and you're trying to explore and you've talked about exploration a lot. It's it's sort of oppressive, you know, because you are this expansive human that clearly didn't sort of fit the mold of those various things you know programmatically that they offered and i say right. it's inspiring because you were like yeah so make it work for me get me out of here you know what i mean like get me get me through this four-year program or however long it was and i i find it inspiring to hear just your awareness of how mm. okay yeah this is not for me i'm gonna try this um, because I think on one hand, with respect to your family, who was like, what are you doing? <laughs> on, <laughs> on one hand, I get that, you know, and it's like, right, this is right. fitting the track. But I, on the other hand, I'm like, yeah, but that is so much confidence in who you are and so much confidence oh. in your self-expression to be aware of that and not, you know what I mean? And not internalize that as like, let me conform to this major and just make it work for oh. a few years and, and to really be at a place where you can be like, this isn't, this isn't me, or this is not working for me. And then to shift, you know, within yeah. the system that is like, you can't shift. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Know? Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I, I, we're, we're going to, um, I'm looking at time. And so we're, we're going to transition to our reclaiming peace Ooh. segment. Uh, mm. But before, before that, I think I also want to co-sign onto Shanta Shanta's sentiment about how that's inspiring because that's exactly I wish my 13 year old son will talk about his formative experiences when he gets older 
Like that's, that's what I want for him, you know? So thank you for that. Thank Let you me tear for that, it Rohan. up. Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, thank you. Okay. So, <laughs> so Rohan, reclaiming our peace, whatever peace looks like, feels like to you these days, can you take us to that spot? <laughs> um, I'm laughing because peace is so hard to find when you're an organizer and <laughs> you're, you're constantly being bombarded with all the things. Um, what gives me peace right now is hearing what you just said. You know, knowing that the next generation of, of people, especially mixed race people, hopefully have a story to anchor themselves to. You know, hopefully, hopefully, however this Blasian March thing will pan out, it's beautiful knowing that there, there are now stories for us. I mean, obviously there are tons of mixed race artists, speakers, um, um, writers, um, political figures, but like to, to actually like say there is space for you. Like there's not just like a one individual offshoot here and there. No, there is space mm -hmm. for you. Um, that's giving me peace. I think also for myself, turning activism off, like <laughs> turn that button. I mean, even when I watch like TV, I'm still like looking at like very like abolitionary activism, like themes, like art, but I'm still just like, mm -hmm. turn that off, honey. Like turn that brain off. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like I love just going for a walk in the woods, even though like a lot of my organizing happens in the, like sometimes I'll record like videos for the Blazer March like in the woods, which is like, mm, which is like, it's funny. Cause like sometimes <laughs> like I wrap the spiritual with the, 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 the uh, tangible, the, the, the esoteric of like, okay, I'm in this very spiritual space where I'm supposed to find my peace but my peace is so great that I am okay using this 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 place for the mundane. I'm okay using the spiritual moment for a more like carnate human like moment, which is fine. Um, mm. So I, I try to turn it off. I try to walk away. Traveling has been very, very helpful for me. Cause now that I'm like, you are physically out of this place. You are physically <laughs> not able to participate which is completely okay like i wish more activists knew how to just walk away and turn off because burnout on the ground is so bad especially these days where it's literally everything is on fire like i don't know mm -hmm. what to say like palestine congo sudan haiti like the amazon uh, uh oil drilling trump is back why is he back like ah, like <laughs> <laughs> like everything is on fire um mm -hmm. so this for me like travel has been really really helpful to just like physically leave the country um i have no idea this is a rated pg or pg-13 it's explicit podcast. you're good you it's can say whatever explicit. you want <laughs> come on okay Bring so thank you audrey lord but somehow Combining erotic power in my activism oh. has turned me into such a fucking slut. Mm. <laughs> and it is for me the greatest way just to turn off and like find peace to be like, all right, I'm gonna go with one of my partners. We're gonna have a good time. I'm not worried about anything other than just this this one moment. And that's it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'm going to also throw in there because I've also witnessed it and it's given me great joy and peace is what you're wearing, Rohan, like this, like just your, your presence in, in these outfits. And then that, like that, it just takes my breath away. It just takes my breath away. It is all, it is all the, the creativity, the, duh diary of a firebird right like <laughs> it is all that mm -hmm. wrapped in this and i'm in new orleans right now so like oh, oh. i'm like i need rohan to make my suit for mardi gras <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm like there's that practicality there too but but like it it invites me just by by seeing you 
it invites me then to to like what what of myself and Shanta does this too when when we talk about singing or or, or art or um, always inviting me to to also go in and explore my own creativity and then to to contribute that right to to this this broader fabric of like who we are that I don't have to like mute that um, even in my in my weird like not being able to karaoke or dance way. So <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, just, yeah, it, it, it is a continually inspiring, inspiring yeah. me. And I, I'm glad you are here the way you are here um, because it is inspiring um, and necessary. And I think when, when Shanta and I talk about like these things that, that we need in our lives that aren't like, you know, not aren't like, self-care like it's necessary it is essential to to how we're human and so that's uh i wanted to to say that um and thank you for defining your piece in in whatever way that that you wanted to and grounding i will say like when i say inspiring i think that's what i mean it's not like that i'm putting you on a pedestal and expect you to be all the things all the time like i i'm not because i'm not i'm I'm human (laughs) yeah you're human and so sometimes i'm a bitch it's okay (laughs) (laughs) Save, save, girl save. but okay can i ask you carol can i throw the question at you because i love hearing about your piece (laughs) yeah i want to hear about your piece I'm going to say this. My therapist last month said, hey, you know, we won't see each other because of the holidays and and uh, his schedule. We won't see each other until like January 2nd. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, that's fine. Like the holidays are usually pretty, pretty good. I'm usually OK, you know, and then I've since been like, where is my therapist? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why did I say that? Like, you know, and I'm like, wait, this, this holiday time is feeling the same again, you know, over and over. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, my, my piece really is, um, I have been sleeping in and staying up late and, um, I've been on social media a lot and I've just been doing what, what the heck I want to do in these days. And a lot of that is not preparing for the holidays. That's my piece. How about you, Shanta? I will say, I'm trying to think of literally finding this moment of peace. I saw a screening of Oppenheimer last week, which I was convinced I was not going to go to because I was like, it's too problematic. I'm so tired of seeing this same old like glorified white history, blah, blah, blah. Then there was a screening with a Christopher Nolan Q&A. So I was like, oh, I'm such a film nerd. I got to (laughs) go. It's free. (laughs) I get to see this. (gasps) iconic director talk about it i was like okay and so i went and just immersed myself for three hours in you know all the the problematic stuff but also just for me it was like focusing on the camera work and the music and the editing and and looking at the craft because i i really love film and i nerd out on it all the time and i think like honestly getting to do that watch christopher nolan get interviewed on stage after and kind of also nerd out on on the craft and what kind of camera they use was like for me that a lot of times I try to find peace in nature and it kind of felt like that a little bit just because I was so immersed in in the the craft and the the process um that I just escaped all the other stuff and and let I let go I let go the the lack of indigenous perspective in the film and I let go of the complete erasure of the effects of this event on Japan in that film, which I'm obviously not letting go right now, but, (laughs) but in the moment I let it go so that I could just immerse myself in the camera work and the sound. And so, yeah, I guess that's kind of, sometimes that's how I find peace just because for me, like those forms of art, music, film, particularly, um, they, they give me the freedom to do that for some reason. So, you know, Found it for a few hours <laughs> the other night oh. at that screening. Um, but yeah. That's so cool. We are, I mean, we're getting to this cool down. If that, is that okay, Carolyn? If we kind of get to that cool down? Yeah, let's, yeah. Like, I, I do want to, um, I don't know, like we've, we've opened this big container. So this is what we do, Rohan. Like we, 
we create this container and then we, at least I do, I kind of like look around and like, okay, like what does this container kind of look like after an hour and how we're with, with one another and like, what does that mean? Right. And we know that any kind of configuration people and energies find themselves in, like, I just want to give gratitude to that uh, before we go into, into our, our cool down, which is really like, these logistical things, right? About, about how we can, like, what, what is it that you want to amplify? What is it that, that you want to put forth in, in, um, in, on this platform that we're also trying to like, you know, put out there in the world um, in whatever way that you want to self-actualize through, through your, your projects or through what you're doing and who you are and how people can reach out to you if they want or how people can, or if you want, or however it is that you want contact with, with human beings and you want them with you, basically. <laughs> what is that? What does that look like for you? Well, folks, you can find me um, on Instagram. Um, for now, X from my Twitter. She's Twitter, Elon, I'm sorry, darling. I'm just gonna call her Twitter. Um, and TikTok, which I barely use because I'm a millennial and I struggle with <laughs> so many platforms. But <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, those are all at Diary of a Firebird. Also, my website, diaryofafirebird.com. Um, you can read my writing. Also, like, hire me to come speak or run a workshop because that's how I make money because abolish money. But until then, that's how I take care of myself so that the Blazing Marsh can keep going. So please hire me for something. I don't know. Like <laughs> casual. You can also follow the Blazing March on all platforms. That's Blazing March and blazingmarsh.org. Let's see. There's so many things. Um, let's see. If you are in uh the New Haven area, you can catch me at the Akasu conference at Yale. Um, there's Ooh. the first weekend of March. Um Let's see, March 4th, if you are in New York City, catch me at Columbia University. Um, weekend after, you can catch me at Oberlin College for one of their conferences. Let's see what else is happening. So many things are happening. Let's see, uh, Blasian March, my goodness, Blasian March, we will be kicking off the year with our third annual Blasian March Book Fair, uh, April 20th. Um, that is one of our lovely actions where we hand out free books from Black, Asian, and Blasian writers to foster understanding across communities. We also include Native literature because we are on stolen land. Uh, so come by for free books, um, free resources, register to vote there if you haven't registered yet. It's totally fine. Um, let's see, what else is coming up? There's so many things coming up. I'm like, what's happening to my life? I don't know. You are a whole circuit. I'm so a whole are. circuit. I'm a whole circuit. Uh, <laughs> June 9th, tentatively, but June 9th, uh, we'll be having our Blasian Pride Rally, uh, celebrating Black, Asian, and Blasian LGBTQ community, as well as, of course, everyone else wants to come celebrate with us. Everyone is welcome, obviously, because there is hardly any space to celebrate Black Asian identity. So it's a pride for everybody. And if you're in Orlando, September 14th, we are going to have another Blasian March book fair um, down there. We are also holding, oh, I, for, I skipped one. I'm so sorry. Oh. So, so um, We're having a Blasian March book fair in collaboration with Gender Heist um, in Los Angeles. Um, May 24th and 25th, um, as well as the book fair in Orlando, that's in collaboration with Make Us Visible and other Black-led orgs we haven't like officially found yet, but shout out to all these orgs we're collaborating with to make all that happen. Um, we are a fiscally sponsored project. So please visit us at BlasianMarsh.org if you feel like you can financially contribute. Um, if not, that's okay. Please share the word because we are buying all these books from Black and Asian-owned bookstores. So, uh, yeah, that's that's all the things. <laughs> we'll include all of the things that you referenced in terms of websites. We'll put that in the show notes as well, so people can look there and, and, and get there. And I will say, as someone who was buried in your website, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
if you are curious about all of the things that Rohan is involved in, just go to diaryofafirebird.com and and just dig through it. You know, I always encourage people too, if they're listening, to take the time to do a little bit of research and and you've put so much incredible knowledge and experience mm-hmm. out there already. So like, don't come into the DMs, like, tell me about this. If if it's already there, you know, like do a little- <laughs> For real. Do a little yeah, research. And uh, <laughs> because Rohan is clearly busy, one, but also people forget like organizers and activists need to survive. If you're gonna abolish capitalism, if you're gonna dismantle these systems, you have to survive them also, you know? And Exactly. And so by all means, um, We'll link all of those things and make sure that's that's easy to get to. And just thank you so much for sharing all of these offerings. And I'm in LA, so I'm like, I, I just put that in my calendar just now. <laughs> so. Come on, yes. Okay, I'm excited. We're gonna meet in person. Holy crap! <laughs> I'm, I I like refuse not to now. So hopefully, yes, that'll happen. <laughs> hopefully that will happen. Yeah, the team there, they're 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 amazing. Uh, the Blasian March uh, chapter lead there, lead painter Kim, they're great. I'm I'm going to say it out loud now because whenever I say things out loud, they eventually happen. But Rohan, you're you're going to come to New Orleans with us here and you're going to do your thing here or just hang out with <laughs> us folks here, however way you want to be here. A thousand percent. Uh, it's going to happen. There's there's mm. also, there's a place for you here already in community. Thank you for taking up all the space. Thank you for being you. Uh, thank you for coming on. We are uh, two women of color who are trying to do a podcast because everyone has a podcast. And um, <laughs> we're very clear about uh, why why we exist in this in this realm. I love doing podcasts. I can be like, <laughs> da, 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 speak full, full, I can speak all this philosophical shit and then come back and be like, and sex. But you're like, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. Can we, can we do part two? Absolutely. Somehow? Like, absolutely. <laughs> Erotic power for our communities, okay? Like, I, there we go. I'm writing that down. I really yes. would. It would be so amazing if we could. Thank and you, Audrey Lord. Yes, yes, yes. 100%. Her book is sitting right here on my desk, right? Like I, I'm screaming. I'm not kidding. I, this I, sister outsider keeps me sane. I genuinely think. Okay. Right. Oh, and then, and then why don't we just put this down now, Shanta? Because in... Maybe maybe that's something for for season three subscribers. That episode. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm yeah, here for it. stick around because yes, that would yeah. be that would, we would be so grateful. I mean, even even if time passes and you're like, I I need to talk about this thing, then that's cool too. So you know, I don't know. I will I will always stop to talk about erotic power. Like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm here for it. Let's go. I also reflect back in gratitude because. People don't recognize that, yeah, everyone has a bajillion podcast, but the fact that three femmes of color are documenting our stories, mm-hmm. that's abolition work. Because mm-hmm. once again, we are abolishing mm-hmm. the erasure of our histories and stories. Mm-hmm. Also pointing out, referencing Deepa Iyer and her um, mm-hmm. ecosystem of change map, Storytellers, mm-hmm. right? That's a podcast. This is the ecosystem of change work that we need to do, so... No, this this is also equally valuable and incredible work. And so I am just so grateful to you too for even conceiving this in the in the first place and getting the, and getting this 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 work done. So well, thank, thank you. you both. I'll hold on to that. And you better, honey. And I will because it keeps me it keeps me like I will edit this this episode this week. Like it it, it really it, no, it's so it's like very it's powerful to hear that. And Carolyn always reminds me this idea of evidence of existence and how that's mm. been erased in so many ways. And so it's like really nice to, Oh yeah. Just grateful to hear, hear that in that, uh, in your words and, you know, um, so true. And so it's very, it's encouraging for sure. <laughs> All right. I've got to get myself to a Filipino party. Yeah. Oh, oh now. So. <laughs> I'm in charge of bringing some food. 
I mean, I'm picking up food just to bring it over. <laughs> I don't cook food, but I... And I'm this is food. how I come down to New Orleans immediately. Right. I was like, exactly. I need some ponce in my life, okay? <laughs> Random fun fact. Um, yes. The very first Blaise de March was October 11, 2020, right? But that's during Filipino American History Month. Mm-hmm. It was also, which I learned later, took place in the very first, well, what was at the time, the very first Filipino neighborhood in Brooklyn. Wow. So Sorry, Shanta, we had to, we nerded out Filipino history right there. Yes. Like, <laughs> I'm very it. used to it. The, Carolyn does the same yes. thing for me. If we have like a, trans, <laughs> mm-hmm. if there's a transracial adoptee, for example, on, then it's a very similar dynamic where we're like, oh, okay. do you know so-and-so? Do you know so It's fine. We're mm-hmm. good. <laughs> Lots of love. For you, Rohan. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you, thank you okay. for doing this work. Okay. All right. We'll be in touch. Yes. Okay. For sure. Take okay. care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Human Regards. Don't forget to rate the show or leave a review. If this episode resonated with you in some way, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can follow us on Instagram at Human Regards Pod. And of course, head to the link in our show notes to become an official listener supporter. You are the best for being here. Take good care today.